Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm David Jenkins. On the show this week, Paul Thomas Anderson takes us running down the streets and rolling down the hills of 1970s Los Angeles in Licorice Pizza, and Maggie Gyllenhaal makes her directorial debut with a tale of son, sea, and the crushing responsibilities of motherhood in The Lost Daughter. On Film Club, we'll be doing something a little different with a live film club with David and Hannah, which was recorded at a screening of Punch Drunk Love at the Prince Charles Cinema. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So where is Michael? I hear you all screaming. Uh, He's off for a couple of weeks and I'll be filling in for him, but do not worry, he'll be back soon. In the meantime, I'm Leila Latif, film critic, writer, broadcaster, and regular contributor to Little White Lies. But it's a new year and hopefully a better year, jam-packed with some exciting new releases. Uh, There's a new issue out and congratulations are in order for a new job for Hannah. Congrats! Thank you. Yeah, uh, very excited to be uh, taking over as the digital editor at Little White Lies. For all fans of Adam Woodward, he is still here. Uh, don't worry, we haven't um, sent him to live on a farm. He's uh, he's just moving into a new role. He's going to be the editor at large for Little White Lies. He's, he's, he's the god king of Little White Lies now. <laughs> sort of levitating above us all. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can't think of a job title cooler in the entire world than editor-at-large, so also mega congrats to him. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's looking like a good year. We've got potentially some new films from Scorsese and Jordan Peele and Olivia Wilde and Robert Eggers. Uh, David and Hannah, are there any that you're particularly looking forward to? Oh, gosh, so many. So many films. Um, the new- you, you put us on the spot with that one. <laughs> you know, I actually... I, did, I didn't. I- There's a whole Little White Lies article that has come out about the best films. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if, only, if only we'd written that. Uh, no, I, I actually, I wrote about 60 capsules for that. So I actually am in very much in the uh, zone when it comes to future releases. There are two that I'm absolutely like can't wait to see. Uh, one is the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, uh, Poor Things. Very excited for the Emma Stone Yorgos reunion, uh, and Willem Dafoe is in it. And I'm in such a Willem Dafoe kind of. I'm always in Willem Dafoe mo- mood, but particularly at the moment, he's had a great 2020. I can't wait to see that. And um, this other film called the. Sp- it, the, well, I don't know if this is going to be the title of the film, but The Spaceman of Bohemia, which is um, Adam Sandler playing a spaceman. And um, oh it looks God. kind of like another <laughs> another serious film. Kerry Mulligan plays his wife. It's adapted from a really great book. Um, he basically goes, he runs away to space to get away from his responsibilities. It's like The Lost Daughter all over again, but in space with Adam Sandler. So, yeah. 
Great, great. I'm very excited. That's, that's pertinent to this week's issue, this week's ep. In two ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to um, the uh, new Noah Baumbach film, which is called White Noise. And uh, it's, um, it's an adaptation of a Don DeLillo novel in which um, Adam Driver plays the world's foremost expert on Adolf Hitler. And uh, it kind of explores his life uh, around that. It's one of, like I've actually just been I've been reading some some Delilo over over um, Christmas break, so I'm kind of in the in the zone for it. I haven't actually read White Noise yet. That's on on my, on my shelf, but that's the next one. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying the Baumbach Driver lengthy collab period. So yeah, long long may it rain. Well, uh, that those kind of both sound like fever dreams i'm not even i'm not sure whether <laughs> you've sort of made those up to toy with me but uh they do sound very good if they are real they sound so, like yeah they sound like the made made up films on seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> but, well we've got two very good uh definitely real films to get through this week so uh let's start with licorice pizza Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. Uh, so David, you reviewed this for Little White Lies. It's uh, no spoiler to say an absolute rave review, uh, but this is your th- the third film of Paul Thomas Anderson's to make a Little White Lies issue after the master and inherent vice would you rank it as highly as those films most definitely yeah um i mean when we're picking a film for the cover we're kind of looking for things that have that kind of um you know the pings of inspiration and the the sort of possibilities of creating like exciting art and unique artwork and those really work best when you've got filmmakers who are kind of built like world builders who like you know who are kind of making this new place for movie goes to explore and even though a film like licorice pizza is you know it's it's, it's a kind of a, a a realist film in the way in a way in that it's it's a it's about kind of two normal kids who you know meet cute and they have this kind of crazy adventure uh together and apart um but one of the sort of fascinating things about it is that it's kind of he is very lovingly sculpted this this kind of landscape around them of sort of San San Fernando Valley in 1973 and you know he, those 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 who who know his cinema will know that he kind of you know he that 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 is his home turf he likes to film there i think i think i read an early re- interview with him saying that you know it was one of his kind of funny glib things where he says he likes to film there because he because he can like go home every day after a shoot. So, so but I'm sure there is you know watching the film, there is obviously some deeper romantic um, connection with things. So yeah, this is the cover film of our new issue, and uh, that's available now, and it's got lots of fun kind of in in world um, features in there that are kind of exploring. I, it's it's kind of extending as much as exploring the 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 work that he's done in in sort of fashioning this intricate um nostalgic 1973 california so 
so yeah um but the film's amazing as well if i if, if that if that needed to be restated yeah it's it's like super super fun um and yeah i i i've watched it twice and the second time it was you know his films have mega mega rewatch factor and i actually think that one of the reasons why maybe some people come to his work with a with a hint of skepticism initially like i think that his films when you watch them for the first time can be quite disarming i mean i remember watching the master for the first time and being complete even though i'd sort of there's all this hype out there and all, all, all people saying how strange it was and how alienating and weird and and, and idiosyncratic actually you know it still doesn't prepare you for the actual experience of watching a film like that and, and having to kind of really attune yourself to what he's doing. Same goes for Inherent Vice. This, I think maybe maybe Phantom Thread was was probably one of one of his easier films to kind of enjoy on the first sweep. But that's not to say that repeated viewings don't kind of yield those those kind of additional riches. And yeah, I think that watching what this this is a film that I think you can just watch over and over and over again because there's just so much sort of you know deceptively simple film. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think I definitely did enjoy it more the second time round because the first time round there's such a shaggy structure to it that a part of me was trying to figure out where it was going to go, and actually the second time round freed from that. You can I kind of appreciated it more for what it was. Um, Hannah, do you enjoy this as as much as everyone else seems to have? Everyone's raving about this film. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real tonic for the kind of cold, dark British winter. I'm saying that it's actually a really beautiful day today. Um, being a bit harsh, but um, yeah, I am obviously a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. It's very funny. Like I, I think I've spoken before on this podcast about like I didn't really come from a family who watched films, so I remember watching There Will Be Blood for the first time um, at, when it came out on DVD. I must have been about what fifteen, maybe, and I remember it being the same year as Zodiac. And uh, no country for old man, like uh, for old man, <laughs> for old men, no country for old men. And what a year that was uh, for a start. What a lineup. Um, but I remember watching it, and it's the first, first Paul Tom Sanderson film I saw, and I was just kind of sideswiped, you know, I was just like, what, what, that, what did I just watch? And then kind of um, having no context for his work until I was much older and kind of realized that he was this um, figure alongside, you know, Scorsese and Tarantino and uh, Lynch and Cronenberg. The one of those filmmakers who attracts a certain sort of um, cachet, shall we say, among film lovers. And I'm kind of feel grateful for that because it meant I came at his work from a purely kind of... Um, he's just a guy I like type of uh, vibe. There was no kind of feeling that I had to like him because uh, he was one of the great auteurs of American cinema. And I think he really is one of the best to ever do it. Every, I mean, he's only made, what, nine films? Less than that? One of you will correct me, surely. David, how many films has oh, Paul Thomas Anderson made? I think it's nine. Yeah, let's just say yeah. nine. Let's just say nine. If it's not nine, someone will write in and be We don't need to count. Um, but 
every single one of them, I think, is a kind of masterpiece. And Licorice Pizza is no different. I think it's amazing to see a filmmaker who can work in so many different genres and make every single one of them feel not only like he's a master of that genre, but like they are all kind of uh, in dialogue with each other, which he doesn't... He he. When I interviewed him for the magazine, he said that's not necessarily the case, but he doesn't mind if people see it that way, which is great because I think there are lots of theories out there about how all, all his films tie together secretly in the kind of the expanded world of um, the, the multiverse, the PTA multiverse. But um, yeah, Licorice Pizza, I was very excited because I love Bradley Cooper for a start and, you know, that uh, shot that kind of came out of him in the all white suit on set was like catnip for me uh, same with Benny Safdie I was very kind of intrigued even though going into this I think unless you're like a cinema person it's a hard sell being like well here's Alana Haim and um, Cooper Hoffman Philip Seymour Hoffman's son you know those are two kind of first time actors unknown quantities really um, but you wouldn't know it watching them they are total naturals on screen Alana is just completely magnetic she really does have this um otherworldliness to her but at the same time it's one of the most kind of real depictions of being a young woman in your mid-20s and kind of not having a clue what you're doing and even though it is a film set in the 70s I found it to be incredibly <laughs> true to uh, modern life and it's just lovely to see a film that's got so much kind of empathy for its characters and particularly its young female character it, you know it doesn't ever kind of speak down to Alana or treat her like um the audience kind of are better than her which I think sometimes films about young women can seem a bit smug particularly when they're directed by men um but no I think that the kind of collaborative process between uh, PTA and Haim throughout their uh, careers. PTA's obviously directed quite a few of their music videos. I think you can really see that kind of understanding coming through on the screen. And there's a real um, sort of musicality, I think, to um, the film, which I don't think we've really seen maybe since Punch Drunk Love. It's, it definitely feels like the kind of two um, romantic comedies of PTA's career. And yeah, I just think it's a real um, tonic for our troubled times. Well, no no pressure, PTA. Fix everything, <laughs> get that serotonin coursing through our veins again. Uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the structure, the kind of central conceit of it is this age gap romance with the, yeah, this very precocious young actor and a woman in like arrested development. And then they sort of have these, you know, I suppose vignettes where they're off encountering Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper and Bernie Sack. Were any of those particularly stand out for you as being exceptionally wonderful or or perhaps a little extraneous? I thought they all worked really well. I, I, I'm trying to sort of like work like, so yeah, the first half of the film is, is kind of dedicated to this, this, this the, the kind of cultivating of the relationship between Gary and Alana. He's, he's got his, he's got thing he's got lots of things on his plate because he's so ambitious and he's an entrepreneur and he's, he's kind of coming up with all these kind of madcap schemes and she's kind of like 
at once in awe of him and kind of like slightly kind of weirded out by him as well. Like, you know, he, he has that kind of, I think, I think I've seen a lot of people compare him, his character to Max Fisher from, from Rushmore, that kind of like, you know, there's, there's something slightly off about how kind of positive and go-getting he is. And that, that can, you know, you know, when you, you meet someone who is just like, really on it and it can actually be quite alienating even though they're kind of perfectly nice you kind of feel like you're sort of in just being in their presence is you're kind of in their shadow in a way and i kind of feel that 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 kind of that idea kind of plays out over the first half of the film and in the second half you have alana kind of going it alone a bit more and and sort of having being involved in these kind of three encounters um firstly with with a uh a, 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 a kind of classical Hollywood film star played by Sean Penn, um, uh, who's based, who's kind of very, very loosely based on William Holden. And then you've got a an encounter with Bradley Cooper as John Peters, Hollywood mega producer to be and girl boyfriend of um, Barbara Streisand and habitual tail chaser. Uh, who has this very funny pickup line that he uses, which is apparently based on on reality, uh, and then and then finally it's Benny Safdie as as this real life um, LA councilman Joel Wax, who was this kind of progressive, enlightened councilman who what who was who was trying to kind of, I guess, stop big business from ruining the the this kind of nostalgic, slightly kind of old school atmosphere in San Fernando Valley. I think that. Paul Thomas Anderson maybe sees himself in, you know, they, they, these are kind of like ghosts of Christmas past for, for, for Anderson. And like, that it feels like they're all kind of vague, like maybe vague versions of him at some point in his career. And, and through each kind of encounter, Alana has this kind of revelation and, 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 and it, which kind of leads her to sort of make this climactic decision. And I, I totally agree with what you were saying before and uh, that, you know, the first time you watch it, its structure is so kind of loosey goosey that you're kind of you 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 you, you never know where it's going to go next. It has these it, the scenes are kind of connected with these kind of slow fade outs and fade back ins where you know like a, 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 an amount of time passes you don't really know how much exactly but then you're kind of back and something new's happening and it's kind of thrilling in a way that you're kind of like you know you're seeing life in this kind of you, you, you're getting the kind of surprises of real life that you know that you know destiny can kind of turn on a dime and suddenly you're you're selling water beds or suddenly you're um opening a pinball parlor you know it's all, all these kind of yes that universal experience where you sometimes just end up you know working at a pinball parlor <laughs> exactly exactly it's 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 that it's that universal experience that we've all had <laughs> but um yeah no certainly um something that I mean the structure to me just kind of made the whole thing feel even more nostalgic felt it made it feel kind of more like a collection of memories that come together in a way that kind of might have been six weeks and might have been three years who knows um, but yeah let's put some scores on this um, in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect David you standing by your five 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 in yeah the back? I think I, I will actually because it's it's definitely one of my I mean, you know, my, uh, we, we did our kind of films of the year we, just before Christmas. And this, you know, you, I, I always feel a bit kind of like 
well, this film isn't quite out. So having it as my film of the year would be a bit weird and alienating. But, you know, it, it would definitely be up there as, as one of the best things I, I saw in, in, in 2020, 2021. Sorry. Um, so, so, yeah, it would deserve the top marks. And Hannah, what about you? I'm going to go for a five, four, five, uh, basing the four purely on the kind of first watch experience. Uh, I do think it's a really wonderful film. It was in my top like I think it was number three maybe on my films of the year might have been number two I don't know um but yeah I think it's a wonderful film and uh he doesn't miss does he poor Tom Sanson you know uh, you could pick out any one of his films and the rewatch value the kind of layers the things you notice the second or third or fourth time around are always going to be different uh so yeah what wonderful film would highly recommend people seek it out uh particularly if they're able to go to cinema, because it looks so good on uh, 35 or... Well, I haven't seen it on 70 mil, but I am going to see it on 70 mil. Yeah, I think I'd go uh, 444 first time round and then 455 second time. I really do think you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head that sometimes, you know, a rewatch really does improve something. Uh, anyway, there you have it, listeners. Uh, let us know what you thought of Licorice Pizza and email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Leader, a college professor, confronts her past after meeting a woman and her young daughter while on vacation in Greece. Her interest with the woman and her daughter prompts her to reflect on some difficult memories in The Lost Daughter. Uh, Hannah, you had a wonderful time interviewing Maggie Gyllenhaal about this film for the Titan issues of Little White Lies. Uh, did the film live up to the filmmaker? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I fought quite hard to interview her because I loved the film so much and I saw it at London Film Festival. Or did I see it before then? I don't know. It was a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I really liked the film. I was very hyped for it out of 
uh, reading everyone's reviews at Venice because um, I didn't go. So I was very much relying on uh, both yourself and David, who were at the festival and spoke very highly of the film. Um, and then obviously speaking to Maggie, she's a wonderful actress and an amazing filmmaker. It's one of the most kind of assured debut films I can think of in recent memory. It really does feel like um, you're watching someone who's done this a hundred times. Um, there's such a kind of confidence to the way she directs this film. Um, and yeah, I think it's so rare to watch a film that really uh, doesn't make any apologies about how difficult its leading lady is. And uh, I wouldn't say that she's like, um, you know, a kind of um, tortured protagonist or anything. I think she's just a real woman who's kind of burnt out. And I was very um, taken with the idea of just a woman, a female character being allowed to just kind of be a mess and it not kind of be a whole like, oh, she's got some kind of mental illness or something. It's just, you know, yeah, you're allowed to kind of not like your kids or um, not be happy in your marriage. And it doesn't have to be a whole kind of um, character failing, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes life sucks and that's okay kind of thing. But it's wrapped up in this um, delicious kind of psycho uh thriller vibe where you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and you always get this feeling that Lita might have done something terrible or that something terrible might be about to happen and um, there's a real kind of like tension between her between Lita and uh, Nina Dakota Johnson's character that I kind of, it has you on edge right the whole film. And I'm not going to say whether anything does happen or not, because I think we'll leave that to the uh, uh, audience to kind of find out. But um, yeah, it's a real kind of, it reminded me a lot of um, Notes on a Scandal, the uh, Zoe Heller uh, book slash really actually very good film with Kate Blanchett and Judy Dench. I think there's a similar vibe at heart there between this kind of older woman younger woman is it a kind of like psychosexual relationship you're never quite sure um thing going on and really great to see olivia coleman get to do a role that is just as amazing as the favorite but in a completely different um gear i think she's such a wonderful actress and british listeners will obviously probably still think of her as Sophie from Peep Show or um, of whatever her name was in Green Wing, which I think Green Wing's probably her best work to date. Um, <laughs> Controversial. She's so good in Green Wing. <laughs> uh, great, great show if anyone uh, has ever seen it. Probably on all four. Um, but yeah, it's just great to see her kind of get a role she can really sink her teeth into. I was very worried after she won the Oscar that it would be a kind of one and done and she'd, you know, end up doing like prestige kind of Oscar bait stuff for the rest of her career. But no, she actually seems to be getting these quite um, interesting roles between this and Landscapers, the um, drama on Sky where she is um, playing a, a murderer, basically. Um, she's she's having a, well, I would say a great 
2021 but these both kind of a tail end so yeah i very here for this kind of um reign of olivia coleman we're experiencing at the moment yeah sad that in many ways playing uh somebody who's a murderer seems kind of less brave a choice than just being a mother who just doesn't like their kids uh david <laughs> david you're a parent was this uh one of the more harrowing depictions of parenthood that you've seen yeah i mean it's this notion of of that, that it's kind of explored in the Elena Ferrante novel of of actually, I mean, it's it's this, it, it, I guess it's a question of you know living in a patriarchal society where uh, a woman has certain expectations in a kind of domestic domestic setting, and you know that they should be looking after the kids. And what what this film sets up in flashbacks with Jesse Buckley playing young leader, who is also amazing in this film. Is that you know you have this this partnership where you have two a couple who are both aspiring as- academics whose uh, whose work requires a lot of uh, a lot of time and resource and yeah like it, it can't just be a leader looking after the kids while while the dad goes off and, and and does does his work and I think that sort of idea of like not liking her kids it I, I'm not sure I got that from the film it it's more it is more of a case of like you know, she, her priorities are, you know, in life are, are slightly different and she wants to be able to kind of work through some things that, you know, involve her having some time to herself. The very notion that a mother would reject her children is, you know, you have to sell that, you know, you have to, you have to sell that convincingly. And I think the beauty of this film is that it really does sell it in a way that doesn't make her into a monster that she's like, um, I think, and yeah, it's down to the work of Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley, and and I think probably Maggie Gyllenhaal as well as an, you know, her her work as an actor is probably like fed into some of the sort of richer qualities of this film. I think that that the, the character of Lida is so rounded, and you know. You, you know, she. I, I think she's everything and nothing. You know, I think you, you know she's someone who you can kind of. I think I remember seeing it in Venice and chatting with people about it. Everyone had a different take on her. You know, on on, on what they felt about her, and you know, I think that, that there had. You know, it's easy to say that she's a kind of, you know, a, an unlikable character, quote unquote. Um, and I think she is, but I don't necessarily think that is a that's a not a negative thing. You know, she's not like. I think she's you can be she, you can be unlikable and, and still completely empathize with her and um I think that the way that the, that the film is structured and the what what the actions she takes and the reason she has for taking them all feel very authentic and that you know the, the that that I mean that's the that's what the film is doing it's selling these really difficult concepts to us in a, in a way that is like uh, I think it just does so really successfully and as you say, yeah, it, it kind of at the same time works as this kind of very kind of like, it's like, yeah, it's like a kind of psychodrama, that, the, the kind of film that you'd expect to be happening in the shadows, but actually is happening in the kind of bright light, bright sunshine of a, of a, of a kind of Greek sun resort. So you get so so you know you you get this very kind of interesting tonally discordant thing of 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 the these kind of cloak and da- dagger machinations and these sort of psychological standoffs, but it's kind of like the backdrop is kind of paradise 
and it's it's people get eating ice creams and having fun and splashing around in the water so you know it, it kind of adds to that sense of kind of chilliness of the film yeah i mean one of the things that i really appreciated about it on rewatch is that it almost felt a bit um rosencrantz and gildenstein i'm sure i'm saying that wrong where it's almost there's a more conventional psychosexual drama happening with you know dakota johnson and paul mescal and oliver jackson cohen and it's almost we've shifted the camera to kind of take this quite minor person and just gone very deep into them whilst you know some sort of erotic thriller is happening in the background <laughs> with uh but yeah um i yeah i saw it with you um uh, in Venice, David, and I, I loved it then. And upon rewatch, it, I've only kind of grow to love it more. Um, and very excited for this new era in uh, Gillen Hall's career because I think she's really proven herself to be more than that sort of typical actor who goes on to direct something and gets some good performances, but not much else. Like what she's doing is much more interesting. I would have to say my most feared subgenre of movies is actor who directs <laughs> like fa- especially famous actor who directs that whenever i see that it strikes fear in my heart just because i think film for film there are so many kind of even people who you think would do something amazing like um you know someone like philip seymour hoffman i remember i can't i can't even remember his his he directed a i think it's called love lisa and it it was just like you know, it's it's not it's not the thing that he's remembered for, but you kind of it's it, you know it is kind of weird. But there may, might might be some other examples that I'm missing of like actually good. Films uh, well, Rebecca back. Hall this year. Uh, well, yeah. last yeah. year did that's well. a good example. Yeah, but it's um, not it's not a good film at all. But um, my mind immediately goes to Ryan Gosling's um, Lost, Lost River. River. <laughs> Bless <Yeah>. him. That's <laughs> amazing it. actor. Terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of that. There's also that Larry Crown by um, oh, Tom yeah. Hanks. There's the entire George Clooney corpus. Oh, uh, oh <laughs> the most banal films you'll ever be unlucky enough to spend oh. time with. Well, we but, we we talked about the Tender Bar just before Christmas. My condolences. <laughs> but she's. I think that when I interviewed her, she talked about um, kind of feeling that she didn't really have like what kind of right did she have to take up space as a filmmaker when she was already kind of working as an actor and I think there's some of that in the film this idea that you're meant to be as a woman you're meant to kind of be just be grateful for what you're given and in Lena's case that's uh, Lena's case rather that's a family and you know a career but it's not the kind of career she wants and I think even now um women are often still expected it's it's better it's better than it was but that's you're still expected to kind of make that choice or be a woman who has it all and it's just yeah it's it's quite novel to see a woman who's just like you know actually I'm gonna just do something that's for me and I will say I'm being a bit harsh on her when I say she doesn't like her kids um though they do come off as really annoying at times in the film you're kind of like oh i can understand why she would sack all this off for uh, Peter well, they're about seven that's a rubbish age <laughs> the act the little actresses i will say are magnificent they're really really good and they really sell that kind of annoying seven-year-old it's vibe, very but, i uh, think the depiction of the kids is very i can i can say this again going back to your question about my experience as a parent i can say that the depiction of the children is is very authentic 
yeah. although that you know that there's you don't really see the moments where they are delightful which are you know which is like the, the most of the time but then there there is that kind of braying not not since the babadook have i wanted to get so far away from a child um but yeah let's um let's do some scores uh hannah do you want to go first yeah i will say that this was a four based on anticipation hearing everyone rave about it at venice and then a four and four fours across the board for me i it might move to a five in retrospect i've got to rewatch it um but definitely uh, a really interesting really kind of um lavish i think it's not like you know made with lots of flourishes but there's just something very kind of like i don't know sort of like i think a lot i like a lot of uh, elena ferranto's work there's just something kind of like indulgent in a good way it's like a you know a good box of chocolates or something um i don't know that's a very strange way of describing it but yeah i really recommend this film i i love to see kind of depictions of parenthood that stray outside the convention and i do find it very funny that a few months ago i was saying i don't know if i said this on the podcast but come on come on I've always been a very kind of stalwart, I don't really want kids. And that film made me think, maybe I do want kids. And then Lost Door, I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a great film. Really recommend it. I'm probably going to say, um, I, I, I'm probably going to say fours across the board for me. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, I think, yeah, my anticipation obviously was, was, was slightly down just because of my uh, fear of actor directors. Um, <laughs> um but 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 yeah, it really it really kind of crept up on me. I think kind of we didn't really discuss this, but like I think formally some of the filmmaking is is like a a, a little bit shonky at times. Um, and you know, I think there was there are definitely a few bits in there that kind of you know a, a bit more kind of telltale signs when it comes to the kind of first movies, but. But yeah, I think it's it's a film that I've really been sort of thinking a lot about and just, you know, really astonished by Olivia Coleman's performance. And in a way, I, I mean, I would love to see this, something like this go all the way at the Oscars. I mean, I I guess one of the things that I'm quite, I haven't got my head around is it, how, is this a kind of mainstream film? Is this a film that's going to kind of play in you know, normal cinemas or is this, is it, is it more of a kind of art, art house drama that's got, got a sort of niche audience? I mean, it's, I, 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 yeah, I'm not sure I know. Well, much like our lead character, the answer is not so simple. Who knows? <laughs> Who can even be boxed in by such limited definitions of self? Indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably for me, four, four, five. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's always struck me as such a kind of thoughtful person. I've always loved reading her interviews and, you know, seeing her discuss her form on screen. I had high hopes for her. Um, yeah, four, um, just, you know, fantastic performances. And, you know, in retrospect, five, I, I, I think it really is a very impressive piece of work that's really um, stayed with me. So, yeah, I believe that's out on Netflix now. Um, so let us know what your thoughts were on The Lost Daughter. You can email us at truthinmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Now on to Film Club, where we'll be talking Punch Drunk Love live at the Prince Charles Cinema. 
Unfortunately, we did have some issues with the sound, so the mics are a bit scratchy and we only captured the first 15 minutes, but it was a lovely chat and we salvaged and tidied up what we can and we'll do a seamless segue back into the room here for Hannah and David to pick up where we dropped off. In Punch Drunk Love, Adam Sandler plays Barry Egan, a socially impaired owner of a small novelty business who is dominated by seven sisters and is unlikely to find love unless it finds him. When a mysterious woman comes into his life, his emotions go haywire, fluctuating between uncontrollable rage, lust, and self-doubt. Hannah Strong and myself, David Jenkins, here at the Prince Charles Cinema uh, with a uh, lovely audience here with us. Um, do you want to give some kind of whoop or something? All right, there you go. That's, wow. that's proof, proof of life. <laughs> proof of life. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we're just going to have a bit of an informal chat about the film uh, and just sort of maybe go into why we like it, I think. Uh, and the f I think the, the, the best jumping off point would be is that uh, my colleague Hannah, I happen to know, uh, has a tattoo of this, f <laughs> uh, uh, of this film on her arm. And uh, maybe, maybe you want to tell us first off, who, who recently saw the tattoo? <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I had the recent pleasure of interviewing Paul Thomas Anderson for Let White Lies for our new issue. Um, and it was my first in-person interview in like a year and a half, which was very nice. But I walk into the room and sit down and you know shake hands and he's he's a big fan of Let White Lies. I can say that. He's on record saying that. Um, and we were talking about Punch Drunk Love because both Punch Drunk Love and Licorice Pizza are set in the San Fernando Valley and I think it's the most obvious companion piece of his films to Licorice Pizza. <laughs> he said to me, is, is, is that what I think it is? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a Punch Drunk Love tattoo. So then I had to kind of, you know, get my arm out and <laughs> show him and uh, it was a lovely touching moment. I said to him, I didn't want to mention it because I thought it would be a bit weird. And Alana Haim, who was sat next to him, Haim, sorry, Alana Haim, who was sat next to him, said, are you kidding me? That's the first thing you mentioned when you walk into the room <laughs> with Paul Thomas Anderson. Why did you get the tattoo, more importantly? Because I love Adam Sandler. Oh, okay. The film has a very special place in my heart, um, which is interesting because I only saw it for the first time about three years ago. No, it's, it is a strange one. I, I mean, I, I remember seeing it uh, when it came out and being a bit... Uh, uh, lo loving it, but but still <laughs> feeling a bit baffled by it after Magnolia and and, and Boogie Nights. I think those early films, it, he's such a kind of presents himself as this master technician, and he's very present behind the camera, and you can kind of you feel all these kind of swooping camera moves, and and it's very kind of big classical Hollywood technical filmmaking in the kind of Scorsese vein, uh, and then this is something like this is this is like the first. Paul Thomas Anderson film that you think Scorsese c would or could never make this <laughs> you know, would not be his kind of thing uh it's it's t it's kind of t it feels like he's kind of there, there there is a slight kind of you know clearing out the system energy to the film I think where he's he really is purposely trying to do something very different and quite you know pointedly weird I think Inherent Vice was the one where I remember seeing that thinking, how did they let him make this? I mean, <laughs> how? Who and how? And are they being fired? No, but not in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think this, this film is, is completely fascinating. And I think one of the things I lo love about it, uh, certainly I think it's 
it has massive rewatch factor. Like every every time you watch it, there is some little thing to unlock. Uh, it's this kind of weird technical tour de force as well. In that, it's very it's this kind of jazz movie in a way. It's kind of it's got this jazz energy where it kind of goes in all these weird directions, and you've got this sound design, and it kind of moves in all these weird spaces and. Um, yeah it's it's just it, it it's it's got like a real like on one hand it's kind of referencing all these very kind of old school classical genres like you know it's got the big hollywood romance and screwball comedy and uh there's the, there's the kind of weird noir bit where he's running down the alleys and then there's the, the there's the horror bit where they're talking about each other's faces and <laughs> Uh, and and at the same time, it has this kind of experimental sheen over the whole thing, where it's like that there, there is something quite kind of you know strange and and weird about the whole thing. And then, but at the same time, it's like it's it's very it's so sweetly earnest, and the the the, the romance is calibrated mm. and executed in such a way that it's so you know he it, it, it's 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 the, it, i think it's probably the only pta film that makes me like blub i think <laughs> like in, a, in a, like properly every single time i have this like blossoming theory since i saw licorice pizza that every single one of his films is a romance um make of that what you will with regards to there will be blood but um barry egan is probably the the sweetest soul in any <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson film. I mean, that that was the joke when he when he was in Uncut Gems. <laughs> like, you know, this is his second good performance, and <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I, I I I remember seeing this and thinking, I mean, I'd seen, I, I, you know, I'll admit, I'd seen some of the early Sandler films. You know, definitely didn't go to this film thinking, yay Sandler. Um, <laughs> but but and but yeah, it it it, it really it's hard to state how anomalous this was when it came out. He is like Mr. Kind of shiny, but you know, do Mr. Box office. Yeah. Making like fart noises. That, that was his funny, thing. Voices. funny voices. And, and you get some of them that you, you know, you, you do definitely, I think reading, remember reading interviews about this and at the time and everyone was asking, like what? What? What are you making a film with with Adam Sandler for? You're Paul Thomas Anderson. You could get anyone in Hollywood, you know. And and he was very earnest about. I just love. I love Adam Sandler. I love his movies. I love what he does. And and actually, in this film, that and and I think with like the the years have been very good to it because I think having seen him in various other things in the interim and including a few things which is you know he's branched out and done sort of serious roles for. It, it does make it, it you can see that he kind of uses sandler in in the way in, in you know he gets the best out of him he's he's taking the kind of raw material that is already there and just sort of pushing it in certain directions don't think he's necessarily getting him to do anything particularly new in this film but he's just kind of supercharging the existing assets there's one i really like that's not big that it's the one before it was before the water boy Billy Madison. Billy Madison. That's <laughs> Billy Madison, I think, is really funny. Yeah, I just forgot how funny it was. There's so many great physical comedy moments in the film as well, which comes back to what we were saying about Sander. But <laughs> the moment <laughs> when um, Lena comes to the office and there's all these like things going on in the background, and you hear this like crashing, and he, he's trying to maintain this conversation. And uh, I think that PTA as a comedian is like. We talk about Phantom Thread and how funny Phantom Thread is, but 
all of his films, I think there are so many like laugh out loud funny moments in them. One one of the other things I I I remember about this, um, re- like re- reading around this, sort of closer to closer to when it came out, there were kind of. It's actually one of those. So, so you know, you know, in like Magnolia, there were all these little kind of Easter eggy things, mm. like all these little kind of dates and references. And it's one of those films where I think he very self consciously built for you to kind of, you know, d- dig and research and look at, look at where these things lead and find out why all these various things are mentioned. And I think with this film, he kind of really doubles down on that because there's so there are so there's so much about it that that is like leads you to sort of like there's such little kind of very st- weird details about you know like the the harmonium like you know what what is that and that, that there were all these that there, there was this kind of like i don't know if it was like the dark web or something the, the film critic version of the dark web where people were writing all these strange theories about the film about how it's a kind of like sci-fi film where barry egan is like a kind of superman figure who dons his blue suit and becomes this kind of powerful superhero and that um emily watson's character is an alien and they go really deep and i I don't know if you got if you noticed in fact you you probably noticed this but like i'd not 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 seen this before but like when he punches the wall in his office and he's kind of got his hand on the harmonium. Maybe this is one you want to go back to your Blu-rays and DVDs and just do a, a, a pause pause frame on. But like, that he's got some like word tattooed into in like in on his knuckles. There's there's like there there are letters. It says something on his knuckles, and I'm sure. Oh, love. It says love. Okay. Isn't that nice? I, I, there was definitely an O and an E. The, the countdown aficionado in me didn't really get that one, but. Um, <laughs> Thanks to, to the past us, and uh, sorry for the uh, aud- if any audio uh, snafu there. Um, we're not sure what quite happened, but hey ho, we got we got, we got enough of the good stuff. So Hannah, also just 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 for the uh, the listeners to visualise, could you could you just explain <laughs> the tattoo because we've referred to it to an audience? Yes, who um, could I mean- who could see it. The, the, you know, it was funny because at the screening we talked about the tattoo and then I didn't actually show anyone the tattoo. We just <laughs> talked about this tattoo I had. Um, the easiest thing to do would be go and check my Twitter where there is a picture of this because I discussed it a few days ago. But um, it was done by our good friend Sophie Mo, who also did the cover of the Titan issue. And it just it's a, um, a depiction of the moment in the film where Barry and Lena reunite at the air at the hotel in Hawaii and um they have this kind of very sweet slightly awkward uh run into each other's arms moment which I think we kind of get again in Licorice Pizza and yeah it's just one of my favorite PTA scenes one of my favorite scenes for the movie ever probably and um I was kind of, when I decided I was going to get a tattoo from the film, it was the first place my mind went. So, yeah, I uh, it's I think with, tata- with tattoos, you sometimes, you have them a few years and you get to that point where you're like, oh, I regret it. But that's definitely, definitely one I'm very happy to have. And uh, always one that gets a lot of kind of questions. I think people 
that haven't seen the film. I remember one of my, I went for a nail appointment last year and I was wearing a t-shirt and the tattoo artist saw it and she said, oh, is that your boyfriend? And I was like, no. Uh, and then had to kind of explain. Um, but yeah, great scene, great movie, um, great tattoo, care of Sophie Moe. <laughs> Having seen the film and the tattoo, um, I can confirm that both are just five stars. <laughs> Absolutely perfect pieces of aesthetic gorgeousness. Um, that's it from us this week. And uh, as I've said before, please let us know your thoughts on these films. Email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Um, unless your thoughts are that you miss Michael. We know that you miss Michael. Michael will be back soon, I promise. Next week, we have the latest in satirical slasher franchise, Scream. Tilda Swinton is hearing things in memoria. And we get into some teenage horror slapstick with Scary Movie. Subscribe wherever you pod. If your podcast player of choice lets you leave a review, we'd love you to leave one for us. Unless that review is less than five stars, you keep that to yourself. Uh, Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong and David Jenkins. This podcast is produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken, and Harold McShiel, and this episode is edited by Jamie Maisner. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.